And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Today's guest is Roger Musselman, chairman of DRG. Some best practices with our children, with our leaders here, we want to teach competence, but not let it get to arrogance. So humility is key. And if you can be a humble person and a confident person, that's a powerful combination, but don't let it get to arrogance. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bottom Line Faith, the podcast where we get to know some of the most influential Christ followers in business and in the marketplace in America today. And this is really our chance to sit down with these leaders and kind of lift the hood and take a look at the engine and see how they think, how they live, how they lead, and how they live out their faith on a practical basis each day in their companies. I am your co-host, Ray Hilbert, our other co-host, is Adam Ritz, who's out of town on assignment today, and so I get the incredible pleasure of uh, interviewing this guest of Bottom Line Faith. And I am really excited to introduce to all of you Roger Musselman, who is the chairman of DRG, and we are in beautiful downtown Bern, Indiana. And uh, for those of you who've never been to Bern, you might want to look it up on Google Maps or Google Earth, you'll find. And, it, and it's also kind of a really interesting episode for myself because this is the little town where my wife, Beth, was born and raised for the first five years of her life. So it's kind of like a personal homecoming. Roger Musselman, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you, Ray. It's great to be with you this morning. Folks, you're going to be in for a real treat. This is a man of great reputation, of great business success, but most importantly, a committed and sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. So, Roger, we've got lots of things we're going to talk about on today's episode of Bottom Line Faith. But before we get into your leadership and your company and those sorts of things, just tell us a little bit about your personal background um, and uh, how you came to Christ. Sure, sure. I was uh, born here in Bern, Indiana in 1964 and uh, to a wonderful family, wonderful parents, and I have a younger sister who's 16 months younger than me. She lives in Lexington, Kentucky. Went to uh, South Adams High School here in Bern, graduated in 1982, and then went on to Taylor University and graduated with a degree in business in 1986, and then uh, got an MBA at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. And grew up in a Christian family from day one, incredible role model of parents and uh, love Christ from day one and really solidified my faith in uh, my early high school years with Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Bern and um, came to Christ uh, uh, at a young age and uh, have been living that way for 52 years and and uh, I was fortunate to meet my wife at Taylor University where I graduated. She was a year behind me. She's from Chicago. Her name is Naomi and we were married in 1988, so we're going on uh, 28 years here in a few months. We've been blessed to have a daughter, Sarah, who's 24. She lives in New York City. Our son, Mark, she's a Taylor graduate as well. All right. Uh, 2014. Our son, Mark, is a 2016 graduate of Taylor. He lives in Indianapolis. And then we have a son, David, who is a 17-year-old junior at South Adams High School here in Bern. Any chance he might also go to Taylor? He will probably be going to Taylor. That's a very good guess. Yes. Got to keep it in the family. We love Taylor. That's right. That is exceptional. That is exceptional. So, Roger, in just that little introduction of your background, um, is there some family history here in the business? And we'll learn more about the company, but it sounds like from a very early age, you kind of had business in the background. Yes. My grandfather 
came from Würzburg, Germany in 1910 as a 15-year-old indentured servant, left his family. There was a Mennonite pastor from Scottsdale, Pennsylvania, that went to Germany looking for a young man to come to the United States and learn the printing trade. And so my grandfather, at age 15, said, I'll come, left his parents and his two older brothers. When he had enough money to return, both parents had died. And that was before uh, FaceTime, Skype, texting, emailing. So it was quite a, a step of faith. And uh, he came and he learned to run a linotype machine producing the Bible and the Martyr's Mirror, which is a very thick book of Anabaptist martyrs, stories of Anabaptist martyrs from the time of Christ until the 17th century. Hmm. And uh, we think about the course he set for our family, which is pretty impressive, you know, because um, we don't know what, you know, if he would have not uh, taken that challenge and come to the United States, uh, we don't know where he'd be today. So here we have, this was your grandfather? My grandfather, yes. 15 years old. 15 years old. Leaves home to come over to America. Yeah. And he gets into the printing business. He did. He did. And there's the faith element there, printing Absolutely. the Bibles and the Book of the Martyrs and those sort yeah. That's incredible. So yeah. that, that absolutely helps unpack who you are even today yeah. and what your company is. So take a, a few moments and share with us about DRG and the companies yes. that are a part of DRG. We, uh, my grandfather started the printing company back then called Economy Printing in 1925 then. So he had been in the United States a few years and had the mindset that you don't need to just be a printer for your community. He had the mindset we could print anything anywhere in America. And then my father and uncle really grew the company in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and uh, into the part of the 80s. And my dad was in charge of sales, and we always made uh, the joke he would get on the train uh, every other week probably to go to Chicago from Fort Wayne with a roll of dimes. <laughs> He'd go into a phone booth and start calling publishers and uh, asking uh, if he could give them a competitive price quote. And we joked because most of our customers back then, this is before my time, were in the very front of the alphabet. There were no customers at the end of the alphabet. He never got to the end. <laughs> and uh, so that mindset gave us the uh, thought that we can print anything for anybody anywhere in the country, which made us a national printer. And then uh, in the mid-'80s, we got into publishing, and then our family owns half interest in a furniture manufacturing company Burn called Smith Brothers of Burn. Have a little local newspaper here, the only tri-weekly uh, published Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the state of Indiana, hmm. and a variety of other uh, other items, other companies. So a lot going on. Yeah, a yeah. lot going on. It's a lot that's of fun. even broader than, than I was even aware. That's that's very exciting. Yes, very exciting stuff. So, so we we've learned a little bit of the background and the history. So, uh, at what point in your own career or your own you know stage of life did you really get a passion and said, yeah, this is what I think I want to do with my life. Well, uh, growing up as a, a child, uh, my father was very involved. You know, he was very involved in the printing operation. That's all that uh, the family had at the time. So every night at the dinner table, we'd talk printing. <laughs> and it just sort of, it just flowed. And it's risky for children to come right back into the family business. It's very risky. In fact, we have a family employment policy now that does not allow future generations to come back into the business without prior experience. But my cousin and I did come back into the business and uh, right out of school, right out of our university uh, lives, and, and um, it's worked well. And I did think for a while about maybe going into public accounting for a while, tax accounting, and uh, 
thought, you know, the best trainer for me, the best mentor for me is my dad. So came right into the business in 1986, and he was um, he was masterful teaching me how to make. He, he allowed me to make decisions. Uh, it's it's a lot of young people today don't know how to make decisions. You know, they vacillate between this or that, and so my dad would let me make little decisions. So if I made a wrong decision, it wouldn't mess things up too badly. And then as time went on, he allowed me to make larger decisions, and and um, he's my hero. And that is that's terrific. And and what a great uh, great example you're, you're you've been able to have as your dad. And I know you're passing this along to, to your your kids as well. So Roger, what I'd like to do, if you wouldn't mind, is let's let's just kind of now lift the, the 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 hood, so to speak, and let's learn about Roger the leader. Let's learn about uh, lessons learned and, and and those sorts of things. So as, as you kind of look back, um, you mentioned your dad, yes, your mentoring and so yes. forth. I would assume he gave you some great advice along the way as a as a young man growing up, and not only as a son, but eventually in business as well. But perhaps there have been others who have given you great advice too. So let's kind of dial in for just a moment. Let's talk about some of the best advice you've ever been given. Who gave it to you, and how's it yeah. impacting you today? Well, most of the advice I received around was my parents, uh, very solid advice. And um, as I've gone through life then, uh, you develop relationships with other people that uh, you lean on for advice and help. And I've got, I'm blessed to have quite a few of those in my life for various situations. But the top thing uh, that I was taught from an early age is to have an eternal perspective. We get so wrapped up in this world, worked up over this or that. And, you know, we're here for a mere 80 years, for lucky, for fortunate. And eternity goes on forever. And when you look at, when I look at my problems or my issues or things I need to deal with in light of eternity, it really makes, it puts it into perspective and makes them, you know, they're not that big of a deal. And so uh, living with an eternal perspective would be something I try to do every day. And then, you know, growing up in a Christian home, you know, I was trained that nothing can enrich your life more than getting to know God better every day and the wonder of Jesus, you know, in his life and every day trying to get to know the Lord better, and that being the primary relationship for me, and I think it should be for everybody. A relationship with Christ is my primary relationship, and in fact, I think one's life is incomplete without a relationship with Jesus, incomplete. And, um, and then I would also say um, my parents really taught my sister and I the power of money. It can be good or bad if used in the right way or the wrong way. And money is very powerful. And so those would be some uh, biblical principles or ideas that uh, I, I was trained on. And, and then it's also about people. You know, it's not about all the stuff we have. And it's all about relationships. And my parents' motto is love God, love others. You know, four words. And if you can do that, it makes life pretty simple. We tell our children, and my parents told me, if you can live by biblical principles... You know, it could be the Ten Commandments, it could be other items in Scripture. If you live that way, your life does not get so complicated. Mm. When you veer from those, life gets really messy and complicated. I'm not perfect by any stretch. I'm not here to say that, but I strive my best to live by biblical principles, Judeo-Christian values, a biblical worldview, and that makes life less complicated and, and wonderful. Well, I, I love, you know, of the, of the things that you just talked about. I kind of like the bookends there that uh, it's about people, 
and to have an eternal perspective. And, and I know that um, those of us who are business owners and business leaders and Christ followers, sometimes those, I don't want to say conflict, but we have tough people decisions to make, right? right? And we love people, and yet sometimes um, it's not the best fit for them to stay in a given role or in a given company, per se, right? Would you just talk a little bit about how your faith has impacted some of the tough people decisions, not, not, not so much specific situations, but just as a principle, how do you go about leading people with a biblical perspective? Well, uh, we love all people. We try our best to love all people. We might not love all the actions that they do. And the last thing we want to do is keep people on our team where they're not growing and they're not thriving and they're not, they know it's not a fit. We know it's not a fit. One of our directors, we govern our business with a board of seven, four outside directors. And uh, I remember many years ago, he said, be slow to hire and quick to fire. Mm -hmm. And investing, investing in people ends up, you know, we invest in multi-million dollar printing presses, but the investment in people becomes even greater over time. And so, uh, we do our best when it's time to make a change, to, to do it gracefully, to, to do it in love as best we can, if we can. And, um, um, Sort of lost my train of thought here, but um, that's right. We got through that. Yeah. Well, let me let me just offer a, a thought or a yeah. comment there. You know, a lot of times I I hear uh, business owners say, "Hey, we're a Christian company," and I got some great advice myself one time on that, and said, "There really is no such thing as a Christian company. A company is an entity. A company is a is a legal formation." Jesus didn't come to die for companies. He came to die for people, right? And exactly. so that has to just impact us as leaders. It should impact as leaders, especially when we're having conflict, especially when things aren't going well, but how we can love people through those transitions. And I know that's an important part of your leadership as well. Absolutely. And it's always our goal when we have to make a change that the person... Uh, doesn't have a bad taste. It's hard not to have a bad taste, but if we treat them properly, treat them as we'd want to be treated ourselves, it works a little bit better. Speaking about uh, employees and serving employees, one thing that we are so high on in our businesses, all of our businesses, we have a corporate chaplain. And uh, I can talk about that later, but we are so high on on having a chaplain to care for each one of our employees. You know, we, we, we serve, we care for them financially, intellectually, physically, but for years we wondered how can we care for them spiritually? And not all your employees want to come to you with their problems. And no one wants to come to the owners or the boss with the problems. Right. But if we have a, a chaplain there, uh, we could, you could have a whole podcast on how chaplains have impacted our business and some other businesses that I know of in such a positive way. It is an amazing thing. I know many companies around the country are, are using those chaplains and, and uh, doing everything from weddings and funerals and hospital visitations, and, and that really is about caring for the whole person. So these are some of the things that are going well, some of the things you're doing well in your company, but none of us are like to talk about our mistakes and our failures, but 
I'd like to. <laughs> and uh, I know you'll be kind enough, but offer up or share maybe the biggest mistake that you can recall making in leadership or in business. Uh, what'd you learn from it? Well, I was thinking back over, over that question, and um, I would have to say more so at a younger age than today, but hasty decisions. It's so, I'm a fast decision maker, and that's not always the best. Like I said earlier, you got to know how to make a decision, but you want to make it in a wise way. And what I have learned from making some hasty decisions back years ago was it's best to take time and to seek guidance and wisdom from someone that's been through that or a mentor or a friend. And it's so important to always have someone to share a perspective with and to critique an idea that I might have or uh, that someone else might have. And I'm blessed for the last 18 years to be in a business group that meets once one day a month for a whole day in uh, young YPO. And for 18 years, I've been able to do this. And uh, these guys provide tremendous help in, in difficult situations and, and provide wisdom. And I've got some close colleagues here in Bern that I, for various, you know who you can go talk to when you have to make a tough decision mm -hmm. or an investment in something or an acquisition or a divestiture or something like that. So um, I think it's easy to rush to decisions, but it's most important to, to have uh, wisdom and counsel around you to help you with those. That's a, a great point. I know in, in Proverbs alone, there's over 20 verses or 20 examples where it talks about value and godly counsel and so forth. So if you're a, a business leader today, and in fact, Roger, I, I think we are discovering that perhaps the one word that um, really describes the Christian in business today is isolated. And that's just the way Satan would want it to be for that leader to just be isolated, to not have counsel around them, to be making decisions on their own. And the fact that you're surrounding yourself with godly counsel, it demonstrates a lot of wisdom. And I think it can help us prevent future mistakes as we have made in the past. That, that's fantastic. Well, let, let's talk just real quickly then. In, what, what are two or three best practices that you demonstrate here that are based on biblical principles? Well, my parents taught my sister and I from an early age to be humble. And humility is key. And what we try to teach our kids is to have confidence with humility, but not let the confidence become arrogance. And so humility is key. And if you can be a humble person and a confident person, that's a powerful combination. But don't let it get to arrogance. Um, I like to read a lot and get out of the office and meet people. And there's a saying in a book I read a while back, we'll be the same people in five years except for the books we read and the people we meet. That's so important to get out and not just be isolated in your office or in your community, but get out of your community, get out of your comfort zone, go somewhere, uh, meet some new people. Uh, feed your mind 90 minutes a day. Work hard to um, focus on your mind and uh, that starts with, for me, reading the Bible. I read the Bible through every year, and I would highly recommend that, to read through the Bible every year. Another best practice uh, that my dad taught me from early on was to hire people smarter than you in various areas. You can't do everything <laughs> yourself. And if you can get rid of the ego and be humble and hire people smarter than you 
it's amazing how far the company can go. And don't micromanage. Don't get in the way. We set up, we say we set up fence posts, and we just want to keep the car going down the road and set goals, but don't micromanage. Uh, we were fortunate to be able to create a board of directors back in the late 90s, and so we've had a board for, you know, 15 to 20 years. And I think I said earlier, you know, having a, someone to, a group to bounce ideas off of, it could be a board of advisors if you don't go all the way to having a board of directors. And then I said earlier, utilize the services of a corporate chaplain for your employees. Those, to me, are the best practices to share with other Christian business and marketplace leaders. Those are all excellent, excellent points. And, and we were talking before we went on the air here about some of the challenges, you know, being in the printing business. And, and you've had examples where you really had to take a stand for your Christian faith and perhaps lost business or jeopardized business by taking a stand. Would you maybe just elaborate a little bit on what that process was like or what may have happened there? Sure, Ray. We, um, we have a list of things we won't print here. And we won't print anything counter to Judeo-Christian beliefs. <clears throat> we won't print any pornography, anything with the occult, anything like that. And a number of years ago, I can't remember how many years ago, there was a, we were printing a university magazine, student-produced university magazine, and some major social issues came up. It wasn't the social issue, but it was how it was portrayed. And um, these students... Uh, freaked out, and we said, we're not going to print that. And social media went crazy, <laughs> and uh, we took some heat for that, but we knew that the truth always prevails, and uh, we made it through just fine. But in the heat of the moment, you're thinking, wow, what if, uh, what if this becomes more blown out of proportion and hits the national press? This uh, small printer in Bern, Indiana is refusing to print whatever it is, and the media would love to uh, take that. And this is probably four or five years ago. Today would be even more difficult with the current situation our country is in. Well, and we have, we have a lot of activism and a lot of, you know, it seems like it's okay to be tolerant of everything except for Christianity. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And um, I've always found that amazing. But you give those examples, but yet God's been faithful, right? Amen. Amen. You took your stand, and, and again, not being angry with people and not judging. It's just, look, that's not who we are. Right. That's not what we're about. And so hopefully that's an encouragement to uh, some of our listeners here that maybe you're facing a decision right now that you're thinking, wow, if I don't do this or if I do that, there's going to be some negative consequence to that in business. And you know what? There very well may be. Let's Let's be mindful that Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong, and yet he had major consequences yes. all the way to the faithfulness on the cross. And so, yes, it is true that as a Christ follower in business, sometimes making those decisions to hold true to our faith, there's going to be penalty and consequence, but let's be reminded that the Word is very clear. We're playing to an audience of one, and we're playing for God's glory and, and to, to have fear of God, not fear of man. And so, Roger, that's thank you for sharing those examples and, and modeling that. We, we, believe it or not, we are already getting down towards the end of our time together, but I know that you have a real passion around financial stewardship and around 
money management. And God has obviously blessed you and your family with wonderful business success, and, and it is through that humility and, uh, and also just attention to good detail that you have had business success. But would you take just a few moments here, share with us some of your, your thoughts and inclinations on stewardship and money management. I know this is an important topic to you. Yes, thank you. I've been trained since I was a kid that money is powerful and therefore can be dangerous if not used properly. The biblical perspective that, that I have is that everything is from God and belongs to God. So God's responsible 100% for every blessing, every success, every outcome, every reward in my life. And I only have these things because God gave them to me. He owns everything and he asks us to manage it if it's, as if it's not ours. We're just his managers or stewards passing through for 80 years or so. And with this perspective, it creates seriousness, motivation, humility, gratefulness, and generosity. And I've seen over and over what happens with people that are faithful to this perspective. God continues to give them more and more to manage. And I've seen the opposite as well, and um, where people just can't get out of a hole. And, um, and the more he gives, the more convinced we are that we don't own our money or our things. And... This is the perspective we try to teach our children. You know, it's a serious topic. You just don't want to be flippant with your money. You want to make good decisions. And um, the, one of the best financial tips given to me by my parents is that you can't outgive God. And the Bible, you know, there's a mandate to tithe. I believe it's a mandate. It's not an option. And, and it's the only command. Tithing is the only command in the Bible that God says to test me. And in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And the power of compounding interest is a very power, it's, I call it one of the wonders of the world, the power of compounding interest. And if, if a young person would invest $100 a month from age 20 at age 65, You'd probably have, with market, normal market returns, a million dollars of retirement. You know, you have to run the numbers. But um, money is important to God, and uh, there are 2,350 times money is mentioned in the Bible, twice as many as faith and prayer combined, which is 15% of God's spoken words in the Bible concern money. Hmm. So it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. It has a way of capturing our hearts, right? You know, it does. As the Scripture says, and I, I've heard it, misquoted so many times it says the love of money you know or that money is the the root of all evil well the real scripture says the love of money right. is the root of all sorts of evil right and so money in and of itself not good or bad if there's a million dollars sitting on the table right now it's not doing anything except once it's in our hands it's a reflection of our heart and our intentions right absolutely someone said show me your checkbook and your and your uh, calendar and I'll tell you what's important to you Oh, that's exactly right. Well, Roger, we are amazingly at the end of our time together, and this, this one question is always the last question that we ask on Bottom Line Faith, and it's what I call our Proverbs 4.23 question. And forgive me, Roger, but I always like to take just a moment to set the stage to remind our listeners what we mean by the 4.23 question. It says in Proverbs 4.23, where Solomon's words say, Above all else, guard your heart, for your heart determines the course of your life. 
And Roger, there are some biblical scholars who believe that those were among Solomon's last words. Uh, I've read some uh, biblical scholars who believe he may have penned those words on his deathbed. And so it kind of makes sense, you know, there's all these lessons of principles and truths that he tells us about in Proverbs, but now he's like at the end of his life and he's saying, I know you've learned all this other stuff, but above all else, and we know what it's like when somebody's at the end of their life and they're, they're saying those last words, we're going to pay attention, right? You bet. So Roger... Let's fast forward to the end of your days on earth and your family and friends are gathered around and, and you're sharing your above all else advice. What would you say to our listeners above all else? Love God, love others. It's that simple. Four words. That you learned from? My parents. Your parents. Pretty simple. We love it. You know, I love the simplicity in that and it's really the summation of Jesus's commands, love the Lord your God with all their heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as thyself. We call them the top two. The top two. Yeah. I love that. Well, folks, we have once again been blessed by one of our country's greatest and most godly Christian business leaders, Roger Musselman here at DRG. He's the chairman of DRG. Check him out. Uh, and by the way, Roger, how can we learn more on the web? DRGnetwork.com is our website that would be the gateway to um, the different businesses that are involved under that umbrella. We have 40 or 50 e-commerce websites to buy product, but that's our informational site. That is fantastic. Well, um, we just want to thank you for the incredible generosity of your time today. Any closing thoughts you might want to add? I uh, thank you, Ray, uh, for all you're doing and, and the impact you're having here in Indiana and in beyond Indiana, and I wish you much success and a great day. That's very kind of you, Roger. Thank you so much. Well, folks, I am your co-host, Ray Hilbert. This is another episode of Bottom Line Faith Podcast. And until next time, God bless, and we'll see you soon. Thanks again to our guest, Roger Musselman, chairman of DRG more information and you can contact ray hilbert or myself adam ritz through our website bottomlinefaith.org